Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, uh, we are in our study of the book of Daniel. I call it the Prophet Daniel's Fantastical Guide to Thriving in Babylon. Uh, and we're looking at this, uh, this story. And so if you want to grab your Bibles and go to Daniel chapter 2, that's where we're going to be at this morning uh, here in, in a little bit. Um, Brian Candelo did a great job kicking off Daniel chapter 1 last week. Um, Brian, I usually kick off a new series, but Brian uh, really, he kind of demanded that he would uh, be able to kick off this series because Daniel chapter 1 is pretty special to him. Uh, I don't know if you know this story, uh, but you know, when before he married uh, his wife Shelly, uh, he, he met her in a, in, a, in a college library, saw her, she captured his attention, and so he took out a piece of paper and he wrote on it, I am Daniel chapter 1. Verse 4. Let me read it for you so you can just kind of get a hold of the story. It says, I am strong, healthy, a good looking young man, uh, well versed in every branch of learning, and gifted with knowledge and good judgment, suited to serve in the royal palace. He humbly slid that note of paper over to Shelley. Um, and she saw it and nodded and uh, got her Bible out and took her pencil, wrote on the backside of, of, of that piece of paper a reference and wrote Psalm 116, verse 11. Slid it over to him and he opened his Bible and read, and in my dismay, I say all men are liars. <laughs> it was the beginning of an incredible relationship. Uh, you could talk to him about the truth of that story, that's, uh, you know, I'll let you chase that one. But we're not in Daniel chapter 1 anymore. We're in Daniel chapter 2. And so page 725 in your pew Bibles, if you didn't bring a Bible with you. Um, and we are going to be talking about uh, fear, and specifically fear of the future. Now, everybody deals with fear. Uh, let's just realize, we, all, we deal with different fears, uh, there's different things that kind of stir up emotion in us and kind of frighten us. And so, um, you know, if you feel like there's some fears you have in life, you're, you're not alone. In fact, what we're going to do, even as we begin, as I begin this talk, I'm going to make sure that we just kind of level the playing field. So I'm going to invite you all to stand. We're all going to stand. We're going to do a little church aerobics, okay? And make sure you are awake. Uh, and here, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read some very common fears. Here's what you're going to do. I'm going to read the fear. If this fear is true of you, you're going to stay standing. And if it's not true of you, you're going to sit down, which is going to expose right away your fear of other people's opinions of you, okay? <laughs> There's going to be no judgment, no condemnation. We're just going to kind of just see kind of where we're at here on these fears. So uh, here we go. The, the, the first fear, let's just go with the fear of snakes. If snakes kind of freak you out, you stay standing. If you're fine with snakes... Uh, snakes on a plane, you can just go ahead and you can, ha you can have a seat. Um, okay, so we got a lot of snake. Okay, snakes. All right, good to know that. Tuck that away for a future sermon. All right, stand back up. Stand back up. All right. The fear of public speaking, glossophobia. If you're okay with public speaking, you can have a seat. If the fear of public speaking really kind of, that kind of freaks you out, you stay standing. Look at all the future pastors and preachers sitting down here. All right, stand back up. We're going to keep moving here. 
Uh, third one, I'll move on. Oh, aquanoctophobia. I, I know you know what this means, but it, I'll translate it. This is the fear of swimming in the ocean at night. Now think about this. If that kind of freaks you out, stay standing. If that doesn't bother you at all, have a seat. I am standing. That just, have you not seen the movie Jaws? All right, stand up. We got, we got another one here, a couple more. Trypanophobia. It's the fear of being injected with a needle. The fear of needles. Okay, if that does not bother you, you can sit, if it does bother you, stay standing. Now, no judgment, Jeff Brown, no judgment. Now, if you're seated, I just want you to know there's a Red Cross blood drive coming up. <laughs> we need you. You think I'm kidding, we do, we need you. Okay, stand back, one more. Anis oregonosphobia. It's the fear of losing to the Oregon Ducks. Uh, so, what, I mean, all the Beaver fans are gonna sit down. Duck fans can stay sitting. No, okay, you can all sit down, you can all sit down. That is not a real fear. Or maybe it is, I don't know. Look, if we did the, like, every one of us has a fear of some sort, but the reality is that when it comes to things that are the future that are the unknown, sometimes that fear goes to another level. That it kind of rises up a bit, and it could, be, um, you know, it could be the fear of losing your job. It could be the fear of getting a job. Uh, it, it could be, uh, you know, will it ever happen? Uh, it, could be the, it could also be a fear of like, cancer. Or for some of you, it's the fear of cancer returning. Um, that this starts to create some anxiety within us. And not only does it create some anxiety, it's what it, the, our response to the fear of the future. And there's, I mean, we could just make a list of all the things that we're afraid of when we think about the future. But the, the, it creates this strong emotion. Now, there's, there's a fable that's been told for about 170 years in multiple cultures. In our culture, it's called Henny Penny or Chicken Little. Um, this this, this uh, story of a chicken who's, you know, the sky is falling. Here's Disney's kind of take on this, a short little clip from that movie. And you, and just notice the paranoia, notice the panic that's developing the fear of what's going on. Oaks never be the same because one little chicken said the sky is falling and it created an anxiety in this little you know, character which then contagion breaks out and now everyone is stressed out and there's all this, this hysteria. 
Now, here's what we're going to see. Daniel chapter 2, we're going to be introduced to a king. And this is a king who is fearful of the future. Um, and in fact, his, his dad, he, he rebelled against the Chal Chaldean Empire. And his dad has been in power. His dad's passed away. And now he's in year two of his, of his reign. And uh, you get some hints of the fact that he's thinking about the future. He's wondering how this is going to turn out. We do this as well. We find ourselves in situations, we're wondering, what's the future look like? How is this going to play, play out? What's it going to look like for me in this, whatever the circumstance, you fill in the blank. And, and Nebuchadnezzar, this king, is going to process his fears. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 29, kind of let us, uh, give us a glimpse into this. It says, now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. He's, he's anxious about the future. And here's the question I really want to try and get an answer today is, how can I be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world? And I'll just say this to you. My hope from the very the front end of, of this talk is that when you would walk out of here, that you would be on a journey to be that very thing, that you could be in our world full of all kinds of stress and all kinds of chaos and all kinds of worries and concerns and rising tides of anxiety, that you, by the power of the Spirit, could be a non-anxious presence, just like Daniel's we're going to see in this story today. How can I be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world? So I'm going to dive into the story, begin reading. I'm going to just read the first 12 verses to begin with in Daniel chapter 2. Um, you can follow along in your Bibles or just listen as I read. It says, One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he could not sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. And he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, Long live the king. Tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me my dream and what it means. They said again, uh, please, your majesty, tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. The king replied, I know what you are doing. You are stalling for time because you know I am serious when I say, if, I don't t if you don't tell me the dream, you are doomed. So you have conspired to tell me lies, hoping I will change my mind, but tell me the dream. Then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. The astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among people. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. Nebuchadnezzar is concerned about the future. And the future has troubled him. And it's put kind of a process into place here. And this is the same process that we go through when the fear of the future overcomes us. This is what it looks like. 
First thing is, is that we become restless. That's what's going on with Nebuchadnezzar. He's, he's losing sleep. He's restless. It's, this is occupying his mind. When you're afraid of something and how it's going to play out, maybe it's a conversation you're having next week at work. Maybe you're in high school and it's a test you got coming up. You, you start thinking about that. I don't know if you, if, you, if you do this. I mean, I do this. You start thinking, you mean processing. If it's a conversation, maybe it's a confrontation, you start having the imaginary conversation. And, and you, it becomes, you be, and sometimes you become obsessed with it. And then what happens is it, it robs you of your peace and then leads to the next part of the cycle. Here's it. Our loss of rest produces anxiety. We lose sleep, which then causes anxiety to rise within us. There have been sleep studies done. A recent one, they took a bunch of people and they deprived them of sleep one night and then gave them a full night's rest the next night. The first night after a loss of, of sleep, no sleep that night, they, they measured anxiety. I'm not sure how that's done, but they, they measure anxiety and 30% increase of anxiety, just losing one night's sleep. 50% of the people in the sleep study, after one night of losing sleep, had showed all the signs of chronic anxiety disorder. We become restless. Our loss of rest produces anxiety. That's what's going on in Nebuchadnezzar. He's concerned about the future, which then leads to the next thing. We behave erratically. When anxiety begins to take over, we start making decisions that we normally wouldn't make. We start, we start ha having, possessing attitudes we normally don't have. We respond maybe in some sky is falling ways uh, to, to, to the circumstances that are in. We, Nebuchadnezzar, he's doing the very same thing. Tell me my dream. And if you don't, I'm going to tear you limb from limb and I'm going to destroy your homes. I'm, this, this is like unusual behavior, and his closest friends, advisors, are saying, now this doesn't happen. No king behaves this way. Which then leads to this last thing. We pass on our anxiety to those closest to us. This is what we do. We have this anxiousness, this stress, and, it, and we've been thinking about it, and we've been thinking about it, and we've been thinking about it, and it begins to grow and grow and grow, and we carry this big old ball of stress, and then the people that are closest to us, we just sort of drop it into their lap. You ever been around someone like that? Maybe someone you work with or maybe someone in your neighborhood, maybe someone in your family. It's like they kind of live and they swirl in this pool of stress and anxiety and that you're doing fine except when you're with them and you feel like, man, I feel my heart is racing when I'm around them. What Nebuchadnezzar has done is he is stressed out about the future. He's got dreams that are troubling him and then what he does is he just passes on the anxiety to those who are closest to him in that throne room and, and, and now an edict has been passed that all the wise men, all the, all the magicians, enchanters, uh, the people who would normally interpret dreams, that they are going to be executed. And uh, we'll pick up the, the story in verse 13 because this is where Daniel comes into the story. It says, and because of, of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. 
Then Daniel went home and told his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Rakshak and Benny, if you speak VeggieTales. That's his three guys. We'll get more about them in the next chapter. Uh, he told them what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. Friends, do you know that's still true? He's, he's sovereign. Nothing catches him by surprise. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals the deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness. And, he, and even though he's surrounded by light, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. This is a young, young leader, young man, who's been uprooted from his home, his, his nation conquered, placed in a foreign country, having to learn all kinds of new stuff. I mean, if anyone should have some fear of the future, it'd be this guy. And yet in the midst of all of this, we get a completely different response than we do from Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel is a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. And here, here's, some, here's some ways that, that Daniel models for us how to, how to process our fear of the future. Well, put them up here on the screen again. First one is this. We face our fears with wisdom and discretion. When Daniel gets the news that all the wise men are being executed, and it's already happening. There are wise men who are losing their lives. It's happening, and Ariok comes to him. He, he responds not with a sky-is-falling response. He, he's not overwhelmed with fear. Oh, he has fear. Don't think for a minute that Daniel doesn't have some fear about his future. He does, but what he's doing is that he's not letting fear overtake him. Don't, get think, don't come to the point that you know, Daniel's like this rock solid, just numb, nothing bothers me. No, I'm, he's, he's bothered because he wants the backstory. Why is this happening? You and I ask that question all the time. Why is this? What's, this, what's going on here? Ariok tells him. Then Daniel goes to have a conversation with King Nebuchadnezzar, and he wants time. He wants, he's trying to... Fix, he's trying to look for a solution. And he's facing his fears with wisdom and discretion. He's not facing his fears with hysteria. He's not, he, he's not facing his fears the way that, that, that you know, the, the, the sky is fine. That there's no good, there's, nothing, there's no way out of this. He's calling on the, he's gonna call on the God of his ancestors. In fact, the, the second thing, what he does here, is he process, you process your fear with trusted spiritual community. That's what Daniel does. He gets the information. He responds with wisdom and discretion. He goes and sees Nebuchadnezzar. He, he gets an evening, a night, to be able to find out what this dream is and, and the interpretation. And then he comes back and he takes that information and he brings it to his Bible study. Okay? He takes his anxiety and his stress and takes it to his small group, his huddle. He takes his stress and anxiety and brings it with him to his community group because he knows that the weight of what he's facing is so heavy, he needs other people to carry it with him. And this one is intense, like we need an answer tonight. 
And so what Daniel kind of models for us is we're going to be a non-anxious presence in a very anxious world. We need to face our fears with wisdom and discretion and process our fear with trusted spiritual community, which then leads to the third thing, is to get God's perspective. He, they're praying, what they're asking for is, is God, what, what is going, asking what is going on here? And they're asking for a perspective here, looking for an answer. But when, when the fear of the future sort of rises within us, what Daniel is showing us is that, you know, where, where do we go? And yeah, we can go to community, but let's not, let's not forget to go to God. Let God be the God of first resort. Now, some years ago, Trina and I were on a, a missions trip, and we had Sean and Jill O'Connor with us. Sean is on staff here. Both Sean and Jill are on staff here. And we went and we were doing a spiritual retreat. Um, Sean and Jill were helping worship. Trina and I were doing, I was speaking and we were doing pastoral care together. And we're in northern Iraq. And we do the retreat there and we fly out at one in the morning from uh, northern Iraq and we're flying to southern Jordan. And uh, on the flight, it's one of those flights that's incredibly bumpy. And there's a lot of turbulence um, Jill is, she's not feeling great. Um, I mean, this is a pretty bumpy ride. Um, and, uh, and so we're, we're making the trip through the night and, and we, we're getting close to Southern Jordan where we're gonna, we're gonna land and we're starting to descend and you can just tell that the winds are just rushing off. They're just blowing off the desert floor. And you can feel, you ever been in a plane where you kind of feel it moving side to side? Or you've been on a plane where you say, geez, all of a sudden you suddenly go up or you suddenly go down. That, that's what's going on here. And as you look around the plane, you can just, you can see the white knuckles, okay? You can just, you can see all, you can just count how many people are petrified of this, of this moment. And we're descending, and the, and the pilot's doing a great job trying to, trying to land this plane. But we're coming in, and you can kind of see the mountains now. We're getting lower to the ground, and that plane is still going side to side, and it's still going up and down. But eventually, you feel the wheels touch the runway, and, um, and there's a sense of relief that first rushes into you, but it quickly changes. Because instead of powering down the plane, what the pilot does is he pushes the thrusters down and gives it more power, and he's speeding down the runway now. This is unusual. Uh, and now uh, what, what he does is he just... He, throws more power to it, and he takes off again, and he kind of goes sideways off the runway because the wind is blowing, and, he, and he's going to loop around, and he's going he's to give it another crack and try, and try and land the plane. Now, I've flown a lot in my life. I grew up overseas, my parents are missionaries, so like every four months I was flying to and from school. Um, so, I mean, I've been in planes that do this a lot or side to side. I've been in planes where you land and a, a tire kind of blows and you go sideways. I've been in a plane where they say, you know, the oxygen mask drops. And they, you know how they do that at the beginning of a flight and they say, it drops, just put it on and yeah, help the person next to you. Yeah, that's not how it goes. Uh, because if you're at 30,000 feet and you lose cabin pressure, you got to get down quickly. So it's like a steep curve and your mask is not right here. It's behind you. So you got people going like this and they're panicked. I, so I, I, I've been on planes a lot. I've experienced some of that. And so when that plane hits and then takes off again, you hear the collective gasp in the plane. I'm, I mean, I'm feeling it in here, but I, I this is my first rodeo, so okay, so we're going we're gonna to go around again. This could happen several times. Uh, we land, we're safe, you know, no shock to you. We're, we're, we're safe, and, um, and then Trina tells me afterwards, you know that whole thing? I was just watching you, because I figured 
if you're not stressed out, we shouldn't be stressed out. And I said, well, I'm, I'm glad I came off calm. Uh, <laughs> but here's the deal. You're going to face circumstances that are going to cause panic to rise within you. And Daniel's example is, when it gets, comes to getting God's perspective, you got to look to him. It, his countenance, his presence is a calming presence in the midst of a storm. We've sung that all morning long. You sang it like you believed it. Great is your faithfulness. You're a promise keeper. There's another in the fire. You're with me when I go through difficulty. But we all know the stress of when we actually hit it ourselves and we experience it. So we need to get God's perspective. And really what, what Daniel does is he gets revelation. He gets the dream. He goes to his trusted spiritual community. Hey guys, we need to pray. We need mercy. We need to know what the dream is and we need to know how to interpret it. They pray and God reveals it to them and God still does that today. First Corinthians chapter two says this. The spirit searches all things. Paul is writing this. Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Here, here's 1 Corinthians 2 for dummies. That's kind of the level I, I need on some of this stuff. Look, what Paul is saying is that who knows the thoughts of a man, the spirit of that person. Meaning, I could choose a number between one and a million and say to you, okay, try and guess it. And you, you wouldn't guess it. I mean, you might get lucky. But you don't know what number I have picked. Only the spirit within the person knows what that knowledge is. And then what Paul does is he says, okay, now look at God. Who knows the thoughts of God? The spirit of God. The Spirit of God knows all things. And then Paul says this. This is, for, this is incredibly remarkable. He says that in Christ, God's Spirit, the same Spirit that is in God, that this Spirit is now in you, which means you have the mind of Christ. What he's saying is that should God in his sovereignty choose to reveal to you what is on his mind and heart for you, you can hear and you can know because his Spirit is in you. And God is still revealing his will, still revealing his heart to those who will slow down and listen, which is really hard to do when you're facing a crisis in a circumstance. But Daniel is a non-anxious presence in a very anxious world, and this is exactly what he does. And as the story uh, continues, what we see here in, uh, in verse 24, he gets the dream, he, he erupts in this worship to God, and he goes to see Ariok. This is the guy who's going to execute the wise men. He goes to see Ariok, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. Daniel said to him, don't kill the wise men, take him to the king, and I, take me to the king, and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Ariok quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. Um, and I, I love that. Ariok's like, I'm the hero. I did it. I found the guy. Listen to Daniel's response. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Daniel replies basically, no. 
Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. And that same God, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, is still revealing, should he will, to those who inquire of him. The rest of the story plays out. He shares what Nebuchadnezzar's dream is. It's a statue, head of gold, chest of silver, belly of bronze, iron legs, feet of clay and iron kind of mixed. And then there's this stone that it's, it's, it's cut, but it's uncut by human hands and it rolls down the hill. By the way, Nebuchadnezzar, he's the gold head. It's got to make him feel good. Increasing empires coming, but they're all inferior. The stone comes, hits the clay feet. The whole statue comes crumbling down. It's this, this picture of the nations being crumbled and a wind picks up, blows off the dust of his statue. It's all gone. This stone, uncut from human hands, then grows and it's a kingdom that will last forever and never be defeated. 600 years before Bethlehem, Daniel gets this mystery of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. I love it that God reveals the future to a Gentile pagan king and tells him 600 years before the birth of Christ about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven that's going to grow and it won't be the work of human beings. I mean, look today. Look, look at the church worldwide. The stone is growing. And it's all because of what God's doing and it's revealed to a man who in a very anxious time is a non-anxious presence. How, how can we grow to become that? Here's some, here's some ways. how We can go from 600 B.C. to 2019 here in Salem, Oregon. Some practical steps for us. First one is this. Reflect on your fears. Now, that might seem like an odd thing for me to say. But it's important to note, what is it that's producing the anxiety? What is it that's, that's making you kind of think about the future and it's got you concerned? Make note of that. Reflect on them and then turn that, turn your worrying, turn, turn your, your concerns, your, your anxiety. And this, by the way, this is normal. We, we all deal with this. I deal with this. It, it's, it's the stuff that kind of produces the emotion. Instead of a, a sky is falling moment, then what we do is we take these fears and we go this next step and we ask Holy Spirit for his insight. Sometimes we gather our, our, our trusted spiritual community as well and we ask Holy Spirit, okay, Lord, I, I need some revelation here. I need to hear what you're saying to me about this circumstance. And you listen. And in community, you can do this as well. I need you to listen with me as I process this fear that I'm dealing with. Now for some of you, listening to God is something that's just, that's just uncharted territory for you. That, that map has not been drawn for you. Well, I got good news for you. Because the next step here I would say is that that's foreign territory for you, then save these dates. November 22 and 23, Recognizing God's Voice Conference. We do this often around this place. Save those dates. Come to that. You're going to hear some great information how you can begin growing in listening to God's Spirit. That would be, that'd be really important because you've got to reflect. You've got to know what you're, what, what's producing the stress. What's God saying to me about this? Because I want to be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. And the last thing I would say is this. Gather some of your trusted friends around you. What I mean by this, you know the people that love you but, aren't, but they aren't impressed by you. 
Okay? They, they know you. They love you. They speak the truth in love to you. They don't hold back. They're not like these magicians and enchanters that only want to tell you the good stuff. They love you enough to say, look, you're, you're amazing. I don't think you're seeing this. Gather those people and have the courage to ask, am I a non-anxious presence? Or do I walk into a room and then give you the gift of my stress? It doesn't mean that you can't share what's stressing you out, but does that person walk away now like, I'm stressed out. Am I a non-anxious presence? That'd be a very important question to ask. And as you ask it, know that you're in community that loves you. So this is not about shame or false guilt or condemnation. This is about growing and following the example of this man in this story that we all admire, who is imaging well a Christ that we love. Let's talk to him about that. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. So Lord, as we look at the story and we think about exile and uh, for Daniel, culture changed dramatically in a moment. For us, um, it, culture is changing and it's kind of been kind of a slow change, but for some maybe it feels not, now it feels quick. It's a potential for a lot of fear. What do you want us to know about you when it comes to what we're experiencing? What do you want embedded in our hearts about your character, about the kind of dad that you are? Now, how do you want us to respond to this? What, what, are the, what are the nudges of your spirit that we need the courage to follow up on? So we thank you that you're for us, you're not against us. We thank you that while we deal with fear, and that's a normal thing, Lord, we, we follow a Christ who is an advocate for us, who loves us, and that's something we never have to fear. We are your sons and daughters. Thank you that you see us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.